Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. So this year for Christmas, I got an Apple Watch, which is actually pretty cool because it does all kinds of other things besides tell time. You can actually program it um, for as an activity monitor. You can program it for... Um, for uh, your uh, workouts, you know, timing and keeping you on pace and all that kind of stuff. Um, and, and one of the things you can do actually is you can set um, a calorie burn goal. And then what it will do is it will remind you, it's just like little alarms and little vibration, everything said, time to get up, walk around for a minute, you know, just go and do something, which is really, really cool, except it gets a little annoying sometimes. Um, but but it, what's nice about it is that it keeps you active, it keeps you healthy, it keeps you kind of on track. So for this whole series that we're calling um, Vital Signs, I'm going to be your Apple Watch. I'm going to be a little annoying, but I'm a lot cheaper, okay? Um, and I'm going to kind of remind you, I'm going to poke you, I'm going to prod you, I'm going to say time to get up and start moving a little bit. Um, because in each one of these things, this whole idea of, of Vital Signs is how to assess how am I doing in each of these areas. And we started last week with our relationship with God, and we talked about spiritual health and what that looks like. And... Um, and by the way, if you're using the app today, when the power went out, we lost our Wi-Fi, so you're going to have to go old school. It's old paper and pencil thing, okay? Um, but if you want to follow notes, what we did was, with each of the questions, I gave you four questions last week for assessing your spiritual health, and then how'd you rate yourself on a scale of one to ten. So I'm going to have you do that again today, but today we're going to be talking about your relational life. And um, we started with our relationship with God, which is our spiritual life, but, but then our, our relational life has to do with our relationships with each other. And Jesus tied them together. He said the, the, the two greatest commandments, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. That there is this connection between our relationship with him and our relationship with other people. And one of the best ways to assess how I'm doing in my relationship with God is how am I doing in my relationships with other people? So how do you assess that? Um, I think there's a lot of uh, really good ways to do it. Today we're going to be looking again at Paul's letter to the Colossian church, this time in chapter 3, if you want to turn there. Um, And let me just say again, this is really a great time to get into a community group um, because our community groups are all about relational learning and growing together. And so if you are not in a community group, I would highly encourage you to start out the year, start out this series. It's not too late. Um, You can stop in the lobby, stop by the... uh, uh, community group connections table there, and they'll help you get into one this week. Um, but you learn and you grow together in community, which is what this whole thing is about today. So if you want to turn there, Colossians chapter three, this is what Paul wrote. Just going to read three verses, verses 12, 13, and 14. This is what Paul wrote. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another, If any of you has any grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. In his book, Bowling Alone, uh, Robert Putnam, and it's a a book about relationships and community and all of this. And one of the things that researchers have found over the years is the single greatest factor in assessing someone's um, life satisfaction or happiness has to do with the depth and breadth of their personal relationships. That that above all other things that they've tried to do to, to kind of 
measure people's life satisfaction and life happiness, that is the single greatest, most common factor across the board is the depth and the breadth of our personal relationships. We all want deep, healthy personal relationships. The trouble with that is when we talk about relationships, we talk about people. And that's the catch (laughs) because people are weird. People are crazy. People drive us crazy, you know? So you, you talk about relationships, but you got to talk about people. And here's the thing. And when it comes to relational health, it has less to do with the other people than it does with you. Your relational health really resides within you. And that's what Paul's talking about here in this passage. Now, a lot of times when we read these kinds of passages and there's kind of this laundry list of, of different things, we kind of gloss over them and then just move on. Today, I want to kind of unpack each of them and talk about what they look like in, in real life. What, what does it look like in each one of these things? And, and I found it helpful to pair them together. And so I've got them uh, put together in three different pairs. And I'm going to give you with that three different questions to, to be able to assess um, your relational health. So one here, we're going to start with the first question is this. How accepting am I of others? How accepting am I? Because these first two, I think, have to do with acceptance and inclusion. These are the first two that Paul mentions. He says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness. Now, those two, I think, hook together, and they have to do with our accepting of other people. I'm going to show off my four years of college, okay? Um, our, Our New Testament was originally written in Greek. And so what we have is English translations of the Greek language. And there's nothing magical about the Greek language, but there is some things that when you know a little bit about the background of a word, it helps kind of give you a better insight and understanding of what that's all about. So I want to start with compassion. Compassion, literally translated, has to do with the bowels, how, what, within the bowels, okay? And that sounds kind of weird. But what it's saying is that compassion is one of those things that just wells up from within you. When you have compassion on somebody, it's like this, this deep, deep feeling that just kind of wells up and you look at them through these eyes of compassion. And, and, and really, I, can, I think Paul's kind of saying it, it, it's a gut thing, all right? It, it's, it's what's your gut reaction? What's your gut disposition when it comes to people? Not just people that you already know, not just people that you're already in relationship with, but in general, what is your natural disposition? What is your default disposition when it comes to people? Because the first sign of our relational health has to do with people that we don't even know. Are you critical? Judgmental? Indifferent? When you you look at other people or you look at their behaviors, what is your default position in that? Do you look at them with a critical eye or do you look at them with compassion? When I was a little kid, uh, from time to time, I would get to stay over at grandma's house. And and, um, when we stayed at grandma's house, um, she always went shopping. That's what grandmas do, right? Um, But this was the days before shopping malls, okay? This is like in the olden days. And uh, she lived in San Francisco. So when I stayed at grandma's house, we would go shopping downtown San Francisco, and when we went shopping, you know, we went to Macy's, we went to uh, the Emporium, we went to all these different stores downtown. But my grandmother was a very, very thrifty person. She was Scandinavian thrifty, which meant we didn't start in the departments. We always started shopping with, with grandma down in the bargain 
basement is what it was called. It was the bottom floor of the the store. And when you went to the bargain basement, it wasn't things nicely colorized and put together on racks by size and all of that. When you went to the bargain basement, it was basically big tables with piles of clothes. And you kind of sorted through them and found something. Oh, this looks kind of nice. Is it my size? No, it's not. So you sort of sorted. And the whole idea was you just, these things were like on clearance. They were just, you know, pick through it. Whatever you can find, it's yours kind of a deal. But every one of those clothes in the bargain basement always had a little tag on it that said, as is. Slightly irregular, a little flawed, you know, not quite all together, but you buy it. It's yours. No exchanges, no refunds. You buy it, it's yours. And here's the thing. Every person in this world has their own little as-is tag. We all do. We all got these slightly irregular things about us. We all have these imperfections about us. And when, when we look at people with their imperfections, how do we see them? Because if you look at Jesus' ministry, when he looked at people... He looked at them through eyes of compassion. All throughout the Gospels, you find this phrase. One of them is found in in Matthew chapter 9. It says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. He looked at them with eyes of compassion because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That when he looked at people and he saw their imperfections, he didn't do it with a critical eye or a sense of superiority. When he looked at people, he had compassion on them. When he saw their imperfections, he saw their imperfections as being harassed and helpless. That, that, that when we look at people who are not like us, when we look at people who do things that we don't like, what is our natural reaction? See, Jesus... Jesus didn't condone everything that everybody did. He didn't tolerate everybody's behavior, but he did look at them as people, as individuals with compassion. Because God's eye toward everyone is one of love. That that God sees everybody through these eyes of love and compassion. That, That Jesus loved people who were nothing like him. He liked people who were nothing like him, and that's why they that's why they flocked to him. Because he accepted them as is. And that's the way that God looks at us. All of us. That that he sees value and worth towards every one of us. And and loves every one of us. God loves Raider fans. (laughs) Yes, he does. God, God loves Niner fans, particularly with compassion, because they are harassed and helpless. (laughs) Yes. Yes, they are. In fact, God even loves cowboy fans. Hard to believe, hard to believe, but he does. He sees everybody with those eyes of compassion. He looks at you with those eyes of love and compassion. He looks at the people around you with those same eyes. That's God's natural disposition toward us because God is love. Now, the second part of that is not just compassion, but it's kindness. Kindness is how I act out of compassion. Because it's not enough to just feel compassionate towards people. Kindness has to do with acting on their behalf. See, that's a, the, 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 the root word for kindness has to do with being useful, to be helpful. In other words, I look on somebody with compassion, and as I see their need, I act to meet that need in some way. That's what Jesus did. You find over and over and over again, that when it says that he, moved, he, was, he was moved with compassion, 
right immediately after that, he did something. Every time you see it, he, he saw the crowds, he was moved with compassion, and so he fed 5,000 people. He saw two blind men, and he was moved with compassion, and he healed them. He saw the crowds, and he was moved with compassion, so he taught them about the love of God. See, his compassion always moved him to act in kindness. And Jesus said it this way, love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to who? To the ungrateful and the wicked. See, that was Jesus' disposition towards people. Compassion and kindness. Being moved by people's weaknesses and then moving on their behalf to help them. So at the bottom of your paper, on a scale of 1 to 10, when it comes to acceptance and inclusion and kindness and compassion, where do you rate yourself? Because we talk about being a grace-filled community. A grace-filled community is compassionate and kind. Second question. Ask yourself this one. How genuine am I in my relationships? Because I think the next two speak to authenticity, about real deep relationships. He goes on. He says, clothe yourselves with humility and gentleness. Psychologists have coined this term. It's called imposter syndrome. And they have found that um, in in studies that that probably the vast majority of adults suffer from this thing called imposter syndrome. More than 75%, they estimate, suffer from it. And it goes kind of like this, that if you knew the real me, if you knew me for who I really was, you probably would reject me. If you knew who I really was, if you saw behind what you see now, you probably wouldn't like me. You'd probably reject me. You probably wouldn't love me. And the vast majority of adults have that nagging feeling down deep inside. If you really knew who I was, you wouldn't want anything to do with me. And so what we do is to overcompensate for that is we tend to overemphasize our strengths and and even hide even more our weaknesses and our flaws. It's so interesting because to compensate for it, the very thing that we are afraid of, we perpetuate. (laughs) If I'm afraid that you're going to find me out, then I go to great lengths to keep everything hidden. Keep it all close to the vest. Don't let anybody see the real me. But the problem is this. You can only be loved to the degree that you are known. You, you You can only develop deep relationships with somebody as you begin to show who you really are. That's what the word intimacy has to do with. Those closest relationships we have are the people who know what is inmost in me. And so the question is, how genuine am I? Because that's what humility is all about. Humility is simply this. It is being honest about who I am. Not just my strengths and my, 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 um, uh, my achievements, but, but my, my flaws and my struggles and my weaknesses and my mistakes. See, that's what humility is really all about. It is about genuine, authentic me. And the thing with humility is it's incredibly elusive. It's one of those things that you say, okay, I'm going to work on it. I'm going to be more humble. The problem with it is it doesn't work that way. In fact, the thing about it is, is, is if you ever get to the point you think, okay, now I have achieved humility, the moment you come to that thought, 
you have lost it. (laughs) That's kind of how humility works. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He says, the first step to humility is to realize that you're proud. If you think you are not conceited, it means you are very conceited indeed. It's that elusive. But it really has to do with being honest about who you are. And not being so consumed with protecting your image, but just being open and honest. That's what humility is. Gentleness is kind of the other side of that. Gentleness is the ability to speak the truth or to be honest with someone without beating them up with it. And that's the way Jesus was. He encountered people um, who had made messes of their lives. And, and he, didn't, he didn't just gloss over what they did or what they were doing or how they were living. He confronted, but he always did it with love. It's what Paul talks about, speaking the truth in love. The idea is that I am for you. I want the best for you. The only reason I'm telling you this is that so that you can be the better you. And that's what, that's what gentleness is all about. It's being able to have those tough conversations, to speak those tough truths to somebody, but to do it in such a way that they don't feel like they got raked over the coals because they know that you love them. Been said, one of the hardest things to do is to be right and not beat somebody up with it. And it's so true. Gentleness is all of that. And that's what Jesus did with Nicodemus, with the woman at the well, with the woman who'd been caught in adultery, on and on and on. His encounters with people, his interactions with people. Even when he spoke about hard things, he did so with gentleness. And then he said to his followers, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. If there was anybody who didn't need to be gentle, who didn't need to be humble, it was Jesus, but he was both. And he says, this is, this is the pattern for you. Be honest with yourself. Be honest with the people around you, but do it in kindness and love. There's a couple of questions you can kind of ask yourself to do that. Is there anybody in my life that has permission to ask me the hard questions? Is there anybody in my life that I've given permission to, to talk to me about those tough things? Another side of it would be, when I go through a hard time, is there anybody that I can talk to about those things? When I'm struggling, when I'm hurting, do I have anybody in my life that I can share that with? Is there anybody in my life that I can, that I can confidently speak to in confidence and know it will stay just with them? That's authenticity. So on your paper, on a scale of one to 10, where would you put your ex? How genuine am I in my relationships? And then the third question is this one. How do I handle difficult people? How do I handle the difficult people in my life? Show of hands this afternoon. How many here could say, I have at least one difficult person in my life? How many say, I'm sitting right next? No, don't don't do that part. We all do. Here's what might be surprising to you. You are somebody else's difficult person. Yeah, I know it's hard to believe, but it really is as perfect as you are. You are somebody, well, maybe, maybe not you, but me, okay? Somebody's difficult person. Because we all have those as-is tags on us. And so the question is, how do we handle that? And that's what these next two address. Clothe yourselves with patience. Bear with each other 
And forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Patience and forgiveness. That's how you deal with the difficult people in your life. Now, sometimes even the people that you love and are closest to you can be difficult. They're not necessarily a difficult person, but they are difficult from time to time. How do I deal with that? With patience. Now, it's interesting because there's actually two different words translated patience in our English language from the Greek New Testament. One of them has to do with patience in circumstances. It's the ability to tough it out, to hang in there, to get through whatever it is you're going through. It's endurance, okay? That is one word. There's a completely different word that is used for patience with people. King James Version translates it um, long-suffering, The ability to hang in there and not boil over, to not not let loose, okay, but 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 just to be patient with somebody. Which is easier? Which is, actually, which is harder? To be patient in circumstances or to be patient with people? Mostly patient with people. But he says, that's one of the keys to relational health. That you develop this patience with other people. And the idea is, but by the way, do you have any idea why God put those difficult people in your life? To teach you how to love. To teach you patience. See, he puts difficult people in our lives so we get plenty of practice on patience. <laughs> that, that's why. And, and what he's doing is he's developing, again, our relational health starts within us, not in the other people. And so he says, you know, this is what you do. This, you, you develop this patience with people. You hang tough with people. My wife, Betty, has a particularly difficult person in her life. And, and it's not somebody that she can get away with, okay? She just get away from. The, the, the person's in her life. But she made a decision a number of years ago that the, relation, the relationship with this person is more important than whatever issues may come up between us. And that's, that's a very mature... I wish I could do something like that. Um, it's, a very, it's really what he's talking about here. Is that the relationship, whatever it might be, is more important than whatever issues that might come up between us. And then God has brought this person into my life to develop me. In fact, there will be people in your life that are closest to you who will sometimes be difficult. They're not difficult people, but they will let you down. They will hurt you. They will, they will um, do something that will wound you in some way, even the best. In fact, I think it would be fair to say that just about everybody in your life at one time or another will hurt you. And that's where forgiveness comes in. Forgiveness is the ability to let go. It's the ability to say, you hurt me, but I'm not going to hold on to it. Now, I've talked about forgiveness a number of times, and we do it. It's one of, those things we, one of those things we hit on a fairly regular basis around here because it is so needed. And every time we have talked about forgiveness, without fail, every time, I've had at least one or two people come to me and say, wow, I needed to hear that. Or, wow, here's my situation. How do I forgive in this, in this set setting? Or, or, or some, and, and, and it's because it's one of those things we are constantly getting hurt And we have to learn how to forgive. Now, here's some things about forgiveness. Forgiveness is a choice. It is a choice that we make. Forgiveness is not glossing over what somebody did to us. Forgiveness is actually holding them responsible, but deciding to let it go. That, 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 yes, you hurt me, 
And yes, I know that you hurt me. And whether you ask for it or not, I choose to let it go. Colossians 3, 13 puts it this way. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. How has the Lord forgiven you? How often has the Lord forgiven you? How many things has he had to forgive you for? See, you cannot receive the Lord's forgiveness without it being translated into your relationships with other people. We celebrated communion today. It's a reminder of the depth to which God would go to forgive us, to take on that pain, to take on that hurt, to take on that punishment on our behalf and absorb it all so that we could be forgiven. And that's what forgiveness is. I choose to absorb it and then let it go. Now, a couple of things about that. It happens a little at a time. It is a choice that you make. And the deeper that you have been hurt, the longer it's going to take. But you just reaffirm that choice each time. Because here's the thing. There's only really two ways to deal with a hurt. When somebody has wounded you, there's really only two ways that you deal with it. One is revenge, and the other is forgiveness. Revenge is about getting even. The problem with that one is you never get to even. Because the pain that I inflict on you is never as hard and hurtful as the pain that you inflicted on me. So what I think is being even with you hurts you more than you you thought you hurt me. So it escalates and it continues to escalate that way. You never get to even because nobody can decide what even is. The only logical, the only sane way to deal with the hurts of life that people inflict on you that you don't even deserve is forgiveness. Because the more that you hold on to it, The more that you stew over it, the more it gets its grip on you. Lewis Smead says, when we forgive, we set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was us. See, that person has moved on with their life. They think nothing more about that situation. You are the one that's being held prisoner by it as you stew over it, as you develop bitterness over it. You become locked in that prison. The only way out of that prison is to let it go. And it's hard, and it takes time, and it's a little at a time. But you make the decision, and then every time those feelings come back, you say, wait, I made a decision about this. I am letting it go. I am letting it go. I am letting it go. So, on your paper, on that last one, Where would you put yourself on a scale of 1 to 10? How do you handle difficult people or how do you handle the difficulties people bring into your life? Scale of 1 to 10. Where would you put yourself? Here's the thing. And I don't know if you noticed it when we read it up front because this list of six qualities, six vital signs, if you will, are, are bookended on each side by our relationship with God. He starts this section saying, as dearly loved children... Clothe yourselves with each of these things. And then he ends with forgiveness as the Lord forgave you. In other words, your relationships with other people are surrounded on both sides by God's love and God's forgiveness of you. And that's at the heart of all of it. That that you can't do this stuff on your own. But Jesus is there to help you. And Jesus is the one who has loved you. Jesus is the one who has forgiven you. So that you can learn to love 
and forgive others. Would you bow your heads with me? So as you go through these, let me ask you, which one resonates most, most with you? Maybe there's a hurt in your life that you have been carrying and festering over. And, and maybe today it's just making the decision to let it go. And you, you're not going to do this in your own strength. It's going to be a decision before God to say, Lord, I'm letting go of this. And, and would you heal my heart as I continue to let go? Maybe, maybe it's about authenticity. Maybe, maybe it's about going deeper in your relationships and building those kinds of close relationships that you can be rock bottom honest with that person and find someone who's there for you when you go through the difficulties so that you can be there when they're going through their difficulties. Maybe that's where it is. Or maybe it's just your general disposition towards people, that you look at people and you see their behaviors and your automatic response is one of criticism or judgmentalism. And it's just a matter of, God, let me see people with the eyes of compassion. But whatever it might be for you today, as we close in prayer, I want to pray for you. If, you. if there's an area in your life that you're saying, this part of my relational life, here's where I need some help. And I'm, I'm making a decision about it today. And I'm putting it in God's hands. If I could pray with you and for you as we close, I'm going to ask you the same thing we do every week. Just raise your hand, hold it up for a moment. And as you do, look up, catch my eye, because I want to let you know I'm praying with you and for you in your relationships. Anybody? Yeah, 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 yes. do it in our own strength but knowing his love for you and knowing his forgiveness to you that's a starting point for it now maybe you're here today and you don't know that relationship with God you don't know his dearly loving care of your life you never experienced his forgiveness and maybe for you it's a first step of faith it's just the acknowledgement that God I've got some stuff in my life that I am not proud of. You see me with my as-is tag, and it is glaring. I need your forgiveness. Would you take that, which you did for me on the cross, and, and apply it to my life? Would you take my sin? I am putting my trust and faith in you today. And for you, that's a first step, first step of faith. Same thing. Would you just raise your hand, and as you do, look up, catch my eye, so I can pray with you for you as we close. Anybody? All right. Cool. So, Lord, here we are. All of us with our own little as-is tag. All of us with faults, failures, and weaknesses. All of us in need of your grace. All of us needing to learn how to extend that grace to others. And for some of us, it's an act of forgiveness. For some of us, it's asking forgiveness. For some of us, it's just changing our general disposition towards people. And for some of us, it's just being gut-level honest with people. But we wanted to have healthy relationships, and it starts with you. And whether it's a first-time decision this morning or someone who's just reaffirming a decision they made long ago, it's all the same. God, take us the way that we are. Bring your grace and mercy to bear on our lives. Forgive us our faults and our sin. We're putting our trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.